the 9th of December 2010, 4 p.m. in Parliament Square. 40,000 protesters marched against the rising tuition fees and the abolition of the education maintenance allowance. The protests, organised by the National Union of Students, took place whilst within the walls of Parliament a vote on this education reform was taking place. The marching protesters then found themselves surrounded on either side by the waist-high walls of Westminster Bridge, with the cold, dark depths of the River Thames lurking below, and police officers in full riot gear advancing from both in front and behind, trapping the protesters in a tight square with nowhere to go. These student protesters of all ages were only released around 1am after having been kept on Westminster Bridge for hours in sub-zero temperatures, leading to almost 50 people being hospitalised. The fact that these actions from the police officers were considered legal, despite their consequences, is indicative of something far more sinister regarding police power. In order to begin creating this link, we actually need to travel forwards in time to the Court of Appeal in 2012. At the G20 summit in 2009, there were two protests taking place. One named the Financial Fools protest and another named the Fossil Fools protest. The Financial Fools protest became violent and disorderly, whilst the Fossil Fools protest remained fairly calm. Chief Superintendent Johnson, who was in charge of the overall police operation that day, ordered the kettle of the Financial Fools protest taking place in front of the Royal Exchange, as well as the kettle of the Fossil Fools protest taking place in Bishopsgate. At this point, I want to take a minute to explain what a kettle is. Kettling is a police strategy that involves surrounding a group of protesters, leaving them with no way to leave and keeping them enclosed within a tight space for an indefinite amount of time. Often the police will utilise the architecture of the area they are in to be more efficient with their kettle. In the example I discussed at the start of the podcast, the Westminster Bridge Kettle in 2010, the police used the two walls of the bridge as two sides of the kettle and police officers in full riot gear formed a line both in front and behind the protesters to form the final two walls of the kettle. Chief Superintendent Johnson ordered the kettle of the largely peaceful protest in Bishopsgate because of a fear that these protesters would join those outside the Royal Exchange and become unruly. Chief Superintendent Johnson's kettling of the Fossil Fools protest was deemed unlawful in the Divisional Court, largely because kettling is only justified if there is an imminent danger of a breach of the peace. In this case, the Divisional Court found that the kettle took place before the threat was imminent and was therefore unlawful. Of appeal, 
this decision was overturned as it's incredibly easy for police to convince courts that those powers were necessary at the time that was mark nelklaus professor of the critique of political economy based at brunel university london so how did the police convince the court of appeal to overturn this decision the Court of Appeal ruled that the containment was justified, as it was the least drastic way of preventing what Mr Johnson reasonably thought would be imminent breaches of the peace. So to break this down, the police managed to shift the court's focus to Mr Johnson's discretion, rather than whether the kettle itself was reasonable. The court felt that given the situation Mr Johnson was in and the pressure he was under, his reasoning and explanation was reasonable. This places a large amount of power and trust in the police's discretion and their ideas of what is necessary, rather than whether the action itself was reasonable. In both of these courts, the final decision hinged on what is or isn't considered reasonable, especially what the police deem reasonably necessary. When this is challenged, the police can appeal to the concept of security, and calling something a security measure plays a major role in legitimising it as a measure. And this idea exists within a variety of conversations surrounding police power. To illustrate what I'm talking about, I want to go back to a day that for some changed everything. Members of Congress, I have the high privilege, the distinct honour of presenting to you the President of the United States. September 11th, 2001. Well, actually, September 14th, 2001, when a state of emergency was declared in the United States. Declaring a state of emergency increased the powers of the US government in the name of security, allowing them to fight their war on terror with Al-Qaeda. Our war on terror begins with Al-Qaeda, but it does not end there. It will not end until every terrorist group of global reach has been found, stopped, and defeated. That was President George W. Bush addressing a joint session of Congress following the terrorist attacks of 9-11. Dick Cheney, the Vice President to President Bush, said that this war on terror could take a lifetime. And this is an issue there is now a connection between a state of emergency and the increased powers that come along with it, and a war on terror that could potentially last a lifetime. As a close ally to the US, this had implications within the UK. Speaking on the 11th of September 2001 in London, Prime Minister Tony Blair said that the UK stands shoulder to shoulder with our American friends, and in this hour of tragedy, we, like them, will not rest until this evil is driven from our world. To this end, the Anti-Terrorism, Crime and Security Act 2001 was passed through Parliament. Section 23 of this Act allows detention without trial for non-UK nationals. And as Professor Mark Neoklaus notes, this is merely an expansion and normalisation of internment as done in Northern Ireland during the various states of emergencies. 
This is an instance where greater powers that the police have been given in a state of emergency become the norm through these powers being entrenched within the law. It would have easily passed through the House of Commons as it addressed a matter of security, a concept which seems to hold a rather privileged status. Although I have used a rather dire state of emergency to demonstrate this point, the state of emergency doesn't have to be this drastic. Mrs. Roberts was travelling on the bus and had insufficient funds to pay for her journey. An argument began when she was confronted by the ticket inspector and the police were called in the London borough of Harringay. At this time, Harringay was the site of inter-gang rivalry and fighting, which led to the Superintendent Barclay completing Form 5096, which brings in Section 60 of the Criminal Justice and Public Order Act 1994, also known as the CJPO, into play. For the purposes of this conversation, invoking Section 60 of the CJPO can be considered the Superintendent declaring a state of emergency a state of emergency that seems rather less drastic than a war on terror. It's the superintendent saying that there is an exceptional situation occurring here which requires an exceptional amount of power for the police. Section 60 of the CJPO allows a police officer to stop and search anyone in order to look for a weapon or dangerous item within a specific geographic area. What interests me here is that the police have the discretion to increase the boundaries of their own discretion. Section 60 of the CJPO can be invoked when the police uses its own discretion to decide whether there are grounds for the police to have exceptional power due to an exceptional situation. And considering Mrs Roberts was released without charge, this begs the question of whether the police are simply trying to teach a lesson to the general public that, that they are being watched that they are being um, policed right and they will take that back to their families their communities their friends and so forth at this point i think a recap is in order so far, I have discussed how the courts view the strategy of Kettling. This brought to attention the concept of police discretion and how the police can appeal to the idea of security in order to justify their actions and discretion. In order to illustrate how deep these ideas penetrate the justice system, I noted the example of the Anti-Terrorism, Crime and Security Act 2001. This act took powers that were given to the police under potentially problematic states of emergencies and entrenched them into law under the cover of a war on terror. This brought to light how states of emergencies can be used by the police in order to extend the scope of their power. The case I have just discussed regarding Mrs Roberts illustrates that in some cases the police have the discretion to increase the legal scope of their own discretion without having to go through any courts or other system. Alright, well, that was a lot of information. 
So why is all of this information important when discussing kettling? Well, the level of power being handed to the police is especially sinister in the context of kettling. The police can choose to employ the strategy at their discretion, provided they reasonably believe that there's going to be a threat of the breach of the peace. And when challenged on their use of the strategy, they can just appeal to ideas of security. And on top of this, once the police have noted that a particular situation is potentially dangerous, they can declare an effective state of emergency through the powers given to them under law. Once an effective state of emergency has been declared by the police, their own powers increase, justified once again in the name of security. If I had to pick one word to describe the tactic of kettling, it would be devious. One feature of the kettle as a strategy is that the kettle creates the very thing that is then used to justify the kettling. And this is because the kettle creates anger, rage, criminal acts, disorderly acts. Thus the name, kettling, a building of pressure all the way to boiling point. I'll return to this point later. This particular strategy gives the police ability to effectively inflict punishment and imprisonment on people protesting regardless of how peaceful, without trial or court process. Going back to the case of the Westminster Bridge Kettle, the largely peaceful student protest was kettled in a dangerous situation and kept for hours in freezing temperatures. This is a prime example of how this power that the police possess can be used in what seems largely punitive in motivation. And it seems the police are trying to send a message to protesters or teach them a lesson. In other words, the fuckers will think twice about doing this again. Police have a sense of their own absolute power and the, the kettle is a kind of reminder of that. The Westminster Bridge Kettle illustrates how this power can lead to punitive actions by the police. And in the words of Nadine L. Inani, innocence being charged with guilt. Fifty-eight protesters at the Westminster Bridge Kettle were arrested and charged with violent disorder, 12 of whom have received prison sentences. However, when we break down these arrests, charges and trials, we can see that of the 19 students who pleaded not guilty to these crimes, 18 were acquitted. A majority of those who pled not guilty walked away with no sentence, which begs the question of whether some of those with sentences received them due to a lack of understanding of their rights and pled guilty under the pressure of this situation. In light of this information, I believe it's fair to conclude that had more students who were charged been aware of their full legal rights, there would have been less students charged with violent disorder. So the case of the Westminster Bridge Kettle is a particularly sinister example of how the police's almost limitless power can be used to punish protests. This is particularly worrying for the right to protest. 
by putting these young protesters in this dangerous situation, and even sentencing some of them with prison time, it sends a message to people out there that this could be you. You could be kept in sub-zero conditions, for hours, shouted at, trapped in a tight space, driven to anger, anxiety and fear, arrested, taken to prison, taken to court, and sentenced. This entire process can take place in what is largely a peaceful protest, as the G20 protest case shows. And the courts will not be there to limit the power of the police to do this. Throughout this podcast, I have referred to this police strategy as kettling. However, you'd be hard-pressed to find the use of the word kettling in any police manuals you pick up. In fact, the term kettling is actively rejected by the British police. Following the police's actions at the G20 summit protests discussed earlier in this podcast, there was a House of Commons Home Affairs Committee that had an entire discussion regarding the use of the term kettling. Sue Sim, the lead officer for the Association of Chief Police Officers, said that kettling was an idea created within the media and that she would call it containment. Let's think about what a domestic kettle is, or rather, what a domestic kettle does. As the owner of a kettle, you place water into the kettle and turn the switch on. This applies heat until the water reaches boiling point. However, unlike boiling water in a pot, when a kettle is used, the water remains contained within the kettle. When applying this to the strategy, that the police use, it's clear to see why the police want to dissociate their activities with the word. The owner causes the kettle to boil water and wishes for that boiling water to be contained. The police don't want to be seen as causing anger and containing the anger. So by opposing the word, the police are denying that they're engaged in this very thing that pisses people off. And then keeps them within an enclosed space potentially causing them to commit crimes and become disorderly. So why should we care about all of this? Why does it matter? I believe that kettling illuminates and highlights the systemic way in which the police have almost limitless power that remains unchecked by the systems in place to regulate them. The power of discretion, reinforced with the defence of security, or the concept of security, gives the police in the UK limitless power. And I believe that that is something to be concerned about. 